teaching on a series on unconditional love, and this is uh, actually part five on that. Last week, uh, God kind of hijacked my message, and I talked about a time in between. We are living in a time between the time of, of, of the church age, the grace of God, which uh, has been since Jesus was raised from the dead, and here we are. We're at the very end of what the Bible terms the age of the church, and uh, um, and it's the age of grace, really, if you're a dispensationalist, and it's coming to a dramatic close. And, and then we're going into another time the Bible speaks of, and it's a, it's a time of judgment. Now, people don't realize that that's one of the major doctrines of Scripture, but it is. So we're actually an in-between time, and it's a precarious time. I mean, uh, everything that can be shaken is being shaken, for sure, really worldwide. And, and I do believe that Jesus is coming back as I said, sooner rather than later. So if you weren't here last week, get that. And I, but I'm getting back to my series uh, this week on, and I'm talking about unconditional love. And uh, it's one of the missing ingredients in our culture today. And uh, let me just say this about this love. Now, you know, there's all kinds of words for love. Uh, we as Americans, when we say love, you can love your puppy dog, you can love banana, uh, peanut butter, banana sandwiches. Y'all ever had those? Uh, or um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, or you can like tacos, you getting hungry yet, or, or roast beef sandwiches, or, um, you, know, you know, I like seafood. I love seafood, I could say. But, you know, so we love animate and inanimate objects, but the Bible, the kind of love we're talking about here is an unconditional, everybody say unconditional. Uh, and then self-sacrificial, say self-sacrificial. Now, that's the kind of love that God's given us to, you know, deal with the challenges that we face today. So, um, and let me make this statement. There is no spiritual growth. I've been in Jesus, I'm into my 45th year, so this is a subject that I've just needed to talk, I've needed to read it for me in all my spiritual life. I've uh, gone to 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll go to again today, and I've just examined this in great detail in lots of different ways, and, and that's how this message came about, just my need in my own life. I don't know about you. I, I could be, a, I'm a rascal without Jesus. I mean, you know, um, I'm selfish. I'm conniving. I put me first ahead of others. Without Jesus, I'm a mess. How about you? And that's the reason I've needed to read this because my responses are not appropriate. And I think wrongly of others if I don't know Jesus. So I've had to work on developing God's love in me. And here's what I found out. There is no spiritual growth without growth in, in this kind of love. That went over big. It gets real quiet when you talk about it because it's real personal. How many hear me? There's, you, you, can, you can memorize scripture. I mean, as a kid, I, I had all kinds of stars on my head for memorizing that week's Bible verse in my Sunday school class. That was wonderful. But, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a spiritual person. I've had people that could quote scripture to me who were, uh, who were uh, uh, anyway, all kinds of things, but they weren't Christians. Just because you can quote scripture, just because you look nice, just because you smile every once in a while doesn't mean you're a believer. But the telltale sign that you're a believer is the love of God. By this, John said in 1 John 3, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's not, it's not the scripture I know. It's not my Bible knowledge. It's not how frequently I come or don't come to church. It's, it's not all that. It's not how I dress. And No, 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 no. The telltale sign for me, uh, whether or not I'm a, I'm a Christian, is do I love? And there's no spiritual growth without growth in love. And, and boy, that's a challenge. So I've had to challenge me. And that's how this uh, message came about. Two things we need today in this environment that is so um, uh, anxious. 
People are just anxious today. They're ill at ease. Two things we need to, to, uh, to deal with today. Number one, you need faith. And faith means you're looking not at the circumstances around you. You're looking at what God said in his word about you. Faith in God is faith in his word. Yes or no? So if I say I have faith, it's not some intangible, immaterial thing that I can't put my hands on. If I have faith, it means I have, I have my eyes and my thoughts on what God said about me in his word. And I'm believing that more than I'm allowing the circumstances around me to dominate me. That's faith, right? Right? Say, I'm awake. Say, I'm going to respond. Good. So anyway, second thing we need is love. Because, you know, when people, uh, how many have noticed pressure? Pressure produces uh, stress. And stress shows what you really are without God. Yes or no? So the antidote to that is love. And I want to talk about this, this, uh, this love. Now, this love, agape. Everybody say agape. There are four Greek words for the word love. And the love we're talking about today, the Greek word is the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. And it wasn't used in the first century very much in uh, Koine Greek, a little bit. They really coined it in the church age because it's so unusual and it's not normal. It's really not found uh, except among Christians because Jesus brought it into the world with his exemplary life. So, so we got agape and it's unconditional self-sacrificial. And then there are four words uh, in the Greek for love, we have one word in English language. Everybody say phileo. The second Greek word for love is phileo. When we get our, our city word Philadelphia from that word, it's the city of brotherly love. And that's exactly what phileo means. It's a friendship love. It's a reciprocal love. That is, you find people that are like you, that you like. And because of qualities in their character, you just smile at them. You like them. You talk to them. You do things with them. You eat lunch with them. You do things together because you phileo them. That's friendship. That is not a spiritual love. That's a carnal flesh fleshly human love. But thank God for friendship, right? And then there's another Greek word for love. Everybody say storge. S-T-O-R-G-E. And the E's got a little asterisk thing over it. Storge. And it simply means affection. Everybody say affection. And really it's affection demonstrated. And you see uh, affection and all of us enjoy affection. It's part of our human frame. That's the reason, you know, uh, a little baby, you find a little baby, my, well, we got, you know, a bunch of new grandkids and stuff, and we love to hold them, just holding that baby, that storge, or uh, kiss it on the forehead, or, you know, you, you, you see an elderly person, uh, a grandfather perhaps in your life, or someone that you esteem highly. What do you do, an elderly man, or what do you do? You, you go up and you embrace them. Hey, how you doing? I saw my uh, first grade teacher Man, a long time after I gotten out of school in a, in a mall in my hometown. And, and Ms. Moore, she had to be in her 90s. She had, she had old hands when I was in the first grade because I looked at her hands. She was helping me write with my big fat pencil. You remember all that? And, uh, but I saw her in a mall. And, you know, I couldn't believe my response. I, man, I almost wept. There's Miss Moore, and she's kind of, you know, bent over a little bit, but she's walking in the mall. So, oh, my, that's Miss Moore. And I couldn't help myself. I hugged her. That's still gay. Get it? You know, Storge, you know, you got a, a young couple walking in the park and they're holding hands, you know. I say, that's Storge. You know, I hold Susan's hands. She's got really soft hands. I don't. You know, Storge, kiss, and we, we kiss, and you kiss your wife, your spouse. That's Storge. And Storge is good, right? Then, then the last Greek word for love is eros. Everybody say eros. 
We get our word erotic from that, and it simply in its basic form means sexual attraction. Now, that's, that's, how, how many know sexual attraction is a godly thing? We've made it a nasty thing, but, but in its essence, it's a, it's a godly characteristic to have an attraction for the opposite sex. Did you hear what I just said? Uh, attraction for the opposite sex is a love, eros, and it's a, a normal human attraction. My kids, I have four children, they're all grown and married. But they got of age, you know, and, you know, my son, the first time I saw him cut his eyes, a little girl, I said, you like it? He said, mm, yeah, yeah. It might have been at church, I don't know. But uh, anyway, I thought, yes, he's got eros eyes. Good thing, good boy, good boy, good boy. And then my little girls, you know, one of them, I thought about her this morning, uh, cheerleading, whatever, you know, and, and, you know, we're at school at the ball game, and, and you know, uh, all the kids are doing what they're doing. And I just noticed my child changed when a certain guy came around. And then we, I think we're on the way home, said, you like so-and-so, don't you? And she's kind of, just kind of look, kind of sheepish. I said, you like, well, see, that's eros. That's, I said, that's all right. That's good. You're normal. That's good. Same-sex attraction is ungodly. It's not godly. It's not part of the human frame. It's not natural. Let me say it's unnatural. No, God put eros in us. How many hear me? Now, eros, people take it all and, and do too much with it. If you got eros and you got phileo and you got storge without agape, without God's love, you go to bed with somebody that's not your, that's not your spouse. And we have problems with that today, don't we? So, you know, all these loves. Well, I want to hone in on agape. So I said all that so I could get right to this. Jesus said, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another by this all will know you're my disciples, not by, you know, how much money you give to the church or how many times you attend church or, you know, how much you read your Bible and, you know, how much you can quote scripture. No, no, by this, by this love, by this unconditional self-sacrificial of this love that loves people that you shouldn't love, that you'd really rather have nothing to do with, that you'd rather turn your back on. See, that's the kind of love God's given us. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have agape for one another. That's what he said. So we've been looking at 15 characteristics of love. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 8, the first part of 8, there are 15 characteristics uh, uh, that have been ascribed by the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, I should say, uh, to love. And if you examine them, you can see where you're deficient and what you need to work on. So that's what I've done. You know, this is my 45th year in Jesus, and I've done this all my life, and I always find that I need to grow. What I want to do, though, every year by year, I want to see that I've made some incremental steps forward. How about you? So is it okay if we examine love again? So, um, uh, so 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, this is King James, New King James. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. We'll cover those three. Today, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. Thinks no evil. We'll get that next time. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Now that one's full of stuff you have no idea. Bears all things. That word bear, wow. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So we'll stop right there. So last time I covered five of these. Love is willing to suffer a long time. And it's still sweet. A lot of people suffer a long time, but they're rascals. 
No, this says love is willing to suffer a long time. Then secondly, love treats people kindly while it's suffering. Yeah. Uh, love is not jealous. We looked at that last time. Number three, number four, love does not brag. Number five, love is not proud. So all of that is on our website. We've got MP3s, MP4, which is audio, video. We have uh, the notes are there. I encourage you, if you weren't here for that, go listen to it. I can't encourage you enough. So we're going to continue today looking at 15 characteristics of love. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter five, uh, 13, verse 5. We'll cover three today. Number six, love is not rude. Everybody say, I am not rude. I hope you're not. Let me just say this about American culture right now. We wear rudeness as a badge in our culture right now. People act the way they want to act. They say what they want to say. They do what they want to do. And they don't care what anybody else thinks about it. And friends, it's a sad state right now. This Greek word for rude... It really means to assume a negative form or to act in an unbecoming way. In fact, amplified New Testament, which does just what it says. It amplifies the original language of Scripture. It says this about, uh, uh, well, so King James says, love does not behave rudely. And so amplified says, it is not rude, unmannerly, that's important, and does not act unbecomingly. So now this word has to do with proper social graces. That is, wherever you are, wherever we are, in whatever context of relationship, wherever we have the proper decorum, mentally, emotionally, physically, in gestures, in how we present ourselves and in how we speak. How many know there is a decorum to life? Most people don't even think about it. Now, when I think of, when it says love is not rude, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Tarzan. Y'all ever watch the movie Tarzan? Now, there's a bunch of little, you know, different, different Tarzan movies out. The one I'm thinking about in my head, I think Susan and I went to see it in the 80s. Tarzan, Tarzan fell in love with a woman from the city. She found him in the jungle. He goes to the city, and, you know, so he climbs up on the table in the restaurant. He's eating the food and licking his fingers, you know, and everybody's looking at him like he's cuckoo, right? So there's Tarzan, and then he gets in people's faces, you know, and, and he's just looking at them too close. I mean, you know, there's a social thing where you, you just watch your distance, right? You got to get permission to get close to somebody, right? A normal person does. Let me just say that, okay? And so he's abnormal. He's too close. He's touching, and he's touching the guy's buttons on his shirt, never seen a button, touching his face, looking at, you know, just crazy. You're thinking, man, this, guy's, this guy is uncouth. Well, see, see, that's the opposite. See, see, that's the opposite of what we should be. I think Tarzan is a good example. Let me just say this: when when God gives you uh, as as husband and wife an ability to have children, you bear some Tarzans. And I read a book back in the early '80s for Susan. I had children, and uh, and this guy said any generation is is twenty years, about twenty years or so away from barbarism. Why do you say that? Because you're born, and because we're a fallen race, you got to teach your kids everything they know. They just don't come out sweet as pudding. They look sweet as pudding, and it sounds really nice for them to coo and to smile. Sometimes they just have gas when they're smiling, when they're babies. But they're still smiling nonetheless, right? Y'all supposed to laugh. I think it's supposed to be funny anyway. But, um, you know, 
And so they're really sweet and cute, but as they get a little bit older, you see that self, self-centered stuff come out, and somebody's got to train them. So you know, if you're not going to have a bunch of little Tarzans in your house who are uncouth and inappropriate, we need to show our children what they should and shouldn't do, how they're to act in certain social situations. That's not happening a whole lot right now. Have you noticed that? The new way of raising, let them be whatever they're going to be. No, no, no. You need to train your children. Train up a child in the way he should go, Right? So, uh, you know, show them how to do it. Show them what it means. Pull up your britches. Put on your shoes. You know, straighten out your shirt. And and if you're around an adult, say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Address people that are older than you. Address the elderly. Mr. So-and-so. Miss so-and-so. Be respectful. Yes or no? Anyway, I got a lot to say about that. So a loving person, if you're walking in love, you have good social graces regardless of the circumstance you may find yourself in. And there's a certain decorum, you know, for a courtroom. There are decorums uh, uh, when you go to, um, uh, to certain events and circumstances. There's certain ways that you act. And we Americans just think we have, we've given ourselves at this point permission to be whatever we want to be in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And friends, it's not thinking well about others. Yes or no? So a, good, a person walking in love, here are my notes, maintain good manners and social graces in whatever situation they find themselves in. So we need to learn some lessons. So uh, the love works hard at doing what is fitting, appropriate, mannerly. So, you know, for me and you, here's what we ought to do, regardless of the social situation we're in. What's the etiquette say that I should be for these people, you know? Not everybody thinks the way you think. Not everybody's raised the way you are. So ask yourself this question. Am I rude? And if you are, repent and say, God, help me not to be rude. Some people are rude so frequently that they don't even realize. And my big concern now is that we're all locked away at home. We're forgetting our social graces. That went over big too, didn't it? We need to learn it. Number seven, love puts others first. Everybody say it with me. Love puts others first. King James says, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, does not seek its own. Now, that's, that's unconditional, self-sacrificial, the Greek word agape. Love amplified New Testament says this, love God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Now, I like that, for it's not self-seeking. Isn't that good? Let me read it again. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way for it's not self-seeking. You ever been around a person and you've got a bunch of people talking and they have an opinion and everybody has differing opinions, but that person's constantly saying their opinion, forming their opinion, giving you their opinion, and they don't just do it with two or three sentences. They'll go on for five minutes. If you're that kind of person, that is a person that is not seeking their own. No, 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 no. That, that's a person that is seeking their own. That's a person that's not thinking about others. They are in the middle of their own world. So, so something about agape, it brings a self-last characteristic. I put this in my notes. I think it's going to fall flat on its face. I think it'll never be an acronym, but I actually made an acronym for this unselfish love. Susan's laughing at me already. And that, I mean, it sounds really awful. Sloth. I'm going to be a sloth. Sounds really bad. Self-last, 
Others first. Yeah, see how bad it is? Just, it's not going to work. It'll never be popular. Nonetheless, I'm not trying for it to be. Just, you know, again, just be reminded of this. When Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman, I believe the biblical narrative to you that God created us. God created the first man and from his body the first woman. Yes or no? Okay, so, so they're in the Garden of Eden, and they're enjoying life. And, and God, just, God just had a custom of coming down, fellowshipping with them. He put them in a beautiful garden, and he said, I want you to take care of it. You're my under rulers under me. Take care of the thing. And so he'd probably come down regularly, you know, go jogging with Adam and, you know, sit down to eat with them, you know, and, and just have a meal and just enjoy their fellowship. So uh, Adam and Eve, uh, as long as they were sinless, they were selfless, and they put others first. But see, the moment they sin, their eyes, their, their, their thinking turned, and their self-will turned. They, became, they put themselves in the center of their world. So God comes down, Adam and Eve, where, where are you at? And he didn't hear a response. Hey, hey, Adam, hey, I want to go for a job. Where are you at? Can't hear anything. Eve, where are you? Nothing. Finally, we're over here. Where? Over here. Where's here? Behind the bush. Well, what you doing behind the bush? I'm naked. Well, who said you're naked? I looked down and I was. See, they, they lost their innocence and they lost that selfless characteristic. And now the big problems we have now, every problem in my life and in your life, if you boil it down, it's self-centeredness. I'm thinking about myself first and other people Last, and, and we got to turn around. That's the reason Jesus in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, he said it twice in Matthew and uh, said it twice in Luke. But every gospel, it records in one way or another. He said, if any man wants to come after me, let him do what man being man and woman. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Why did Jesus have to emphasize that? Because we're self-centered. We think of ourselves first and others last. And he said, if you're going to be in my kingdom, in my family, you got to change your tune. You got to put yourself last, put others first. That is deny yourself. So see, when I hear that, I ask myself this question. When's the last time I denied myself for the sake of someone else? Answer that in your life. See, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Then he said, take up his cross. Now, we don't think about cross or something pretty you hang from your ears if you're a woman or your neck or you got a cross on your finger, you got a cross on your clothes, whatever. Crosses are so sweet. That's a barbaric form of, of capital punishment for a century. A cross is a barbaric way to die. See, a cross is, um, is a place where Jesus died. Two things happened to Jesus on the cross. And when, we, when Jesus said, take up your cross, he was saying two things. A cross is, number one, a place where my flesh dies. A cross is where I put myself last and I put other people first. That's what Jesus did on the cross, right? Huh? And then, and then a cross is where... A cross is where I want to do something, but I don't do what I want to do. I, do I, want, I, I choose to do what God said. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's your will. See, he was a human. He was the human God, the God man, the, the God human. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, he's, he's, he sees what's ahead of him. He's got to go to that barbaric form of torture called the cross, Roman crucifixion. Say, God, if there's any other way around this, I'm ready. I mean, I know you want me to be the sin of mankind. Is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, your will. See, a cross is a place where my will and God's will meet and God wins. Right? 
So how about you? Are you taking up? Yeah, I have to ask myself, am I taking up my cross? Am I putting my flesh under? Am I not doing what I want to do because God said do something else? Am I taking my human will and saying, I know God, you told me that. I'm ready to obey. I'm, I'm yielding to you. And are you putting other people first? That's the big question. There's a book that I read about every year now. started several years ago. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Copyright 1938 by, by Dale Carnegie. Y'all ever read that book? It's got 27 chapters in the book. There's 27 chapters. And every chapter uh, in one way or another basically says the same thing. The thesis that Dale Carnegie came up with was really was really smart, and he's made a lot of money from that thesis, and it's correct. And his thesis was everybody thinks about themselves first. So, if you want to be friends with people, don't talk about yourself. If you go around people in social circles during Christmas and talk about you, and talk about your money, talk about your house, talk about your car, talk about your stuff, and you never give other, pe- other people an opportunity to talk, you're not going to make friends. They're going to say, I couldn't wait for him to shut up. No, he said, if you want to make friends, let people talk about themselves. And if you let people talk about themselves, they'll just love you to pieces because you let them be normal. You let them be selfish. And it's, that's his thesis for the whole book. Talk about people, give, I mean, let people talk about themselves, mention their name, and then talk about their, their good things, their accolades. I mean, just whoop it up and you'll have lots of friends. How to win friends and influence people. Why is that? Because we think about ourselves first, generally, and others last. There's a book that I recommended a few weeks ago by Mrs. Cornelia uh, Newsom. Uh, the Life of Faith, there it is on the screen. And uh, Kenneth Hagan is one of the Bible schools I went to. It was his 40 years ago. And uh, he started his ministry in 1934 with this book and his Bible. And so uh, I've read that book. I actually got the book before I went to his school, but he gave it out to his kids, his uh, students. And this book is just so well written. She was a missionary to Mexico, very succinct in her speech, in her, in her writing. And every chapter is a sledgehammer blow about something. So uh, chapter 16, Faith and Love. I've literally worn the first book I had completely out the glue, just quit, you know, sticking. And all the pages came loose, every single one of them. But I've read it a lot. And here's what she said. How many of us, when we have a real right to a time, an honor, a benefit, a possession, refuse to strive for it, refuse even to keep it, but cheerfully, gladly let another have it. Again, love puts itself last, puts others first. How many hear what I'm saying? Nobody's hearing what I'm saying. Say, I hear you, Pastor Mitch. Good. William Barclay, he's an English uh, comment, commentator. I've got a lot of his books said this. In the last analysis, there are in this world only two kinds of people. Those who always insist upon their privileges and those who always remember their responsibilities. Those who always think of what life owes them and those who never forget what they owe to life. And then he said it would be a key to almost all the problems which surround us today. If people would think less of their rights and more of their duties. Whenever we start thinking about our place, we're drifting away from Christian love. How many hear me? So can I get real here a minute? Uh, You know, I understand the world has locked down since March. I get it. I understand it. Whether you like it, agree with it, disagree with it. It's something that has happened. But here's my concern with the lockdowns and us not being together 
particularly as believers and really even otherwise. This has been going on since March. It's taking some of that need we have to minister life to others away. And instead of thinking of others, we're thinking of ourselves because we're alone. Yes or no? And friends, at some point, we've got to break this thing. And we've got to get back to doing what God called us to do. And that is live life on behalf of someone else, not, my, not myself all the time. Yes or no? Well, that was free. Number eight, lastly, here we are. Love will not respond with anger and offense. So we're going to talk about anger a little bit. The uh, King James says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not provoked, amplified, expounds that and uses three words I'll get to in a minute. Amplified says it is, love, it, that is love, agape is not touchy or fretful or resentful. And that Greek word for love is not provoked, it really means to sharpen. It, it means that things come and, they, and they, they, they spike your temper. That means you're on an evil keel, but something comes and there's an anomaly. And you react. It's a reaction. And it's an anger reaction. Love is not uh, one, tr- I think King James says love is not easily provoked. Literally, in the Greek it reads, love is not provoked. It, it doesn't allow itself to be spiked to anger. It means to rouse someone to anger. So when I get upset with someone, become sharp, pointed, irritable, irritable I'm out of love. It goes over big, right? So uh, let me tell you a personal example. I told this first service. Uh, I just got to tell you, you know, I, I'm saying this and I'm mentioning this because I preach this stuff, but I have to live it and put shoe leather on it just like you. And, and this is some of the toughest stuff you'll ever do is walk in love. Because everything in you wants to be self-centered, wants to think about yourself first and others last. So last Thursday, I left the office. I worked hard all day. And uh, I had another errand to run before I went home. So I, I went home a different route than I normally do. I live in Nightdale. And, um, uh, and let me also preface this by saying, Susan and I, you know, we put Christmas decorations up inside, outside. So my job is all the outside decorations. So. Uh, and the grandkids come and they love to see the lights and stuff. So I knew I'm putting up, uh, you know, wreaths. I put up wreaths on the windows. I have 12 wreaths I put up on the front of my house. I've got a bunch of windows, but there's 12 I put wreaths on. And then two on the side. And, um, and then I got wreaths da- up down on the bottom level upstairs. I have wreaths. So I have to, usually I climb through a window this year. So, so I'm on the way home. I went a different route home. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to put those wreaths upstairs on those upstairs windows. But I'm not, I'm not going to climb through that window this year. I'm going to climb up a ladder because it got me this new ladder from Home Depot. You know, the trifold ladder thing that folds down to a nice, neat package and you pick it up. And uh, so I said, I'm going to use that new ladder. So, so I was thinking all the way home about using my nice new ladder from Home Depot to put it up on my front porch and crawl up there, you know, and put my, you know, put my, um, put my wreaths on, you know, I had commando strips. I went to Michael's the previous Monday and bought, is that what you call them? Commando strips. You know what I'm talking about? What? Yeah. They're little strip things you stick, you know, got a little hanger thing on it and you can, yeah. So I, I bought a bunch of those and I had to, and you see, I was thinking, well, I paid a real sacrifice for that because I had to go to Michael's and then they didn't have but one person at the register and I had to wait in line for over 30 minutes and I'm like, 
hurry up, you know. So I paid a big price, so I'm thinking about all So I'm on the way home, and, and I'm thinking about putting the ladder up. That's what men do, right? I think, put my ladder up, I'm going to go up there, how I'm going to hang them on my... So I'm thinking about all that, planted it in my head, you know, got it all planned out. And I had planned to do it, you know, for a few days. And so I had everything ready and had my commando strips. I had left them in the house from putting them on the bottom windows. I knew exactly where they were. So I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. So, so, I'm, uh, so I get home, you know, and I had to change my shoes, change my shirt. And so here I go. We're going to go up the ladder. So I went and got my ladder. I unfolded my ladder, my Home Depot ladder, you know, and uh, stuck it up. And so, well, I'm ready. I looked, looked at my windows, where I'm going to put it. Got me some, you know, I got to clean my window. So I got me some Windex and all that and got a rag. And so I got all that ready. And then, and then I go in the house to get my commando strips and I can't find them. I laid them right here. They're not there. So Susan's at my daughter's house keeping her child. And I says, I called Susan. Say, Susan, we're, <clears throat> okay, I, I left the commando strips right here on this table. So we're, and she said, oh, I cleaned up and I put them in the bag. I said, well, what color is the bag? She told me, I said, okay, where's the bag? She said, well, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? You put them in the bag, right? See, see the rousing to anger start. Well, where's the bag? I mean, I went out of my way. To, you know, I'm thinking, I went out of my way to get these things. I, I paid a price to get those commando strips. Where's the bag? Well, I don't know, Mitch. I, I don't know. I said, okay, well, you need to know, so how about let me know when you know? And I'll call you back. So I went all around the house. I mean, I went in the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, went in my bedroom, and then went upstairs in all the bedrooms and, and uh, you know, another family room. And, and then I looked in, we got a big breezeway hallway, and Susan had all, we had all the boxes from putting all the Christmas stuff. There's still, I looked in all the boxes. And, you know, all that took about 10 minutes. And, and see, it's, a, it's about 4 o'clock, and I know it's going to get dark about 5. And I got to have this done, right? I got to have this done. I put the ladder up. So, so I put my ladder up, and I, this is all this hassle. So I, I called Susan back. So you, you remember where they are, right? I said, Mitch, I can't remember. I said, you got to be joking with me. You don't know where you put those commands. Where's the bag? I said, Mitch, I don't know. Uh, she said, well, did you look in the bedroom? I said, looked in the bedroom. Did you look? I looked in the family room. Yes, I looked. Did you look? I looked in the boxes. Did you look in the bedroom? I looked in the bedroom. They're not there. You need, you need to find them commando strips. That's what I said. And, you know, I said, well, you need to find them. I need them because I already got that ladder up. I'm, I've wasted my time. I mean, listen to me. My time's valuable to me. Me, 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 me. I, I, I. Yeah. So I said, well, call me back. So I looked around one more time, all the rooms, upstairs, downstairs, all the boxes and all the closets, blah, blah. I couldn't find commando strips anywhere. So I called her back, said, Susan, you fit? Mitch, I don't know where they are. I said, I got to have them. She just hung up. I said, well, God, God bless you. And by this time, Friends, the sun was fading down. And reality was setting, for, setting in. I, I'm not going to be able to put those wreaths up tonight with my ladder. <laughs> so, I, you know, so here's the deal. Now, now here's the moral of this. What will make you mad today and make you glad tomorrow. So I walked back outside. Got my ladder down. And, you know, you got, it's got these little, uh, little holders on it, you know, that stick into it. And so I had, you got four of those up. I had them, so I took them out, took it down from the house, and I was taking my little holders out, and, and guess what I found? One of the holders, there's two per step, one of the holders I never put in. 
It was missing. If I'd have got on that ladder, I didn't tell you this part, on the way there, I mean, I kept thinking about falling off a ladder and breaking my back. I'm not making, I said, well, I'm, God's not giving me fear. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of getting on a ladder. I'm a big boy. I'm going to get on that ladder. So I just discounted it. But when I went out there and I put the ladder up incorrectly and left one of the things out, one of the prongs was out, that means there's only one holding one of the steps to the ladder. And I'd have been way up. I would have fallen, y'all. I, would, I mean, I'm 220 pounds. That ladder only holds 250. And I had one part out. I'd have fallen. God had my back. Literally. You get that? So that's why I said, what makes you mad today, make you glad tomorrow. So, so I had to tuck my tail between my legs. Susan comes home and says, Susan, that was just all wrong. I'm really sorry. How many can identify with some anger? See, love is not provoked. And, you know, I don't know that I said anything out of order, but I certainly was out of order with my attitude. Would you agree with that, Susan? Yeah, I was really out of order, so I, I said, I, I'm, I'm just wrong. So I'm just saying that to say everything in life can move you. And you can constantly, if you're not careful, be roused to anger. And you can get to a point, then I got pretty angry because all I was thinking about was me. And I had to repent to the Lord. I had to repent to Susan. I asked her to forgive me. You did forgive me, right? I'm just, she did forgive me. <laughs> I said that to say all of us have to deal with anger, and, that, and i got to hurry to a close. But, you know, there's really two kinds of anger that you have to deal with. What I just talked about was overt anger. That is, something happens, and you just, you know, you're just ready to do something. Boy, you're ready to make something happen. Well, that's overt anger. And there's a certain element of people that have that. There are other people, however, that have covert anger. That's underneath the surface anger. Listen to this. Sometimes the quietest people can be the meanest people. You know why? Because they don't outwardly display anything. They're upset. They just look and say nothing, but they're stewing and fuming inside. And if water, and it does, boils at 212, they're about 210 all the time. And it won't take much to finally finally set them off. So sometimes the quietest person could be an angry person. You ever thought about that? And then watch this. Then there are people that are raised in certain environments. They never display any kind of anger whatsoever. I mean, they're just kind of blase. They just kind of roll with life. I don't care. I don't care. You know what kind of person that is? That's a person who was raised, listen, or raised in a home. I got a whole series on relationships. I'll get to all this. That's a person who's raised in a family, and they're not allowed to have an opinion that differs from the strong personality at home. And they, they're raised without an ability to have a strong will. So anger's not a big deal to them because they weren't allowed to have any kind of emotional expression at all. And friends, that's also dysfunction. Yes or no? Anyway, that was all free. So, so, so being offended. So you got these three words. Let me get to this and I'm done. Touchy, fretful, resentful. See, all of this stems from anger. Anger in and of itself is not sin. How many know, was Jesus angry? Was Jesus angry when he went to the temple and he saw the tables of the money changers and the people selling their animals and uh, they were exchanging money? Uh, for the Jewish, uh, for the Jewish faith, and it was all taken. They were taking advantage of God's stuff. Jesus got mad, and he turned their tables over, let their animals out, and he said, "My father's house is a house of uh, prayer, not a house for this kind of stuff." He drove them out. He whipped them out. He run them out. 
Did Jesus sin? He never sinned. So is anger always sinful? No, sometimes there's righteous anger. Jesus had righteous anger. When is anger sinful? When when anger's selfish anger. It's only thinking about what you're deprived of, what you don't have, what didn't happen for you, that's sinful anger. But when anger's based on on something that's happening that's hurting someone else, that can be righteous anger. And that's the kind of anger Jesus had. Yes or no? So just because somebody's angry doesn't mean that they're sinning. Now, I, I was right on the verge with Susan. And, and I think I was way, way too strong. And she should have hung the phone up on me. Now, you know, maybe we need to talk about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> really, I'm just kidding. So let me, as I close, can, you, you got time for these three words? These three words have to do with anger. They come from the Amplified Bible. Touchy, fretful, resentful. Ask yourself this question. Am I touchy? What do you mean? I'm going to explain it in a minute. Are you fretful? And by and large, are you a resentful person? If you are, my encouragement is let God deal with you about it. So let me talk about it. We're done. You good with this? Listen. So um, uh, touchy, fretful, resentful. Um, and offense all kind of go hand in hand. This word offended, Psalm 119. If you're touchy, fretful, and resentful, you're probably offended. And it all has to do with anger. Psalm 119, 165. Blessed are they who love your law and nothing will offend them. Mrs. C. Newsom says this, if I'm offended, no matter how much cause I have to be offended, the problem with me is that I have not the love which nothing will offend. Wow. So let's talk about these three words, touchy, fretful, resentful. Uh, Question, am I a touchy person? What is a touchy person? Apt to take offense on slightest uh, provocation. Irritable. Or or I like this number, second definition, requiring caution, tactfulness, expert handling. Have you ever been around a person that you got to figure out, now what angle am I going to talk to them on this today? How can I say this where they won't get mad and peeved and upset with me? What can I do? If you're around that kind of person, that is a person that is touchy. Another definition is precarious, risky, easily ignited. Maybe you're going home for holidays and thinking, now this family member, they're going to be there. Now you got to watch how you, you're talking to your spouse. or your children. Now you got to watch how you talk to so-and-so. If you say it that way, they're going to fly off the handle. You ever seen a person like that? Maybe you're looking in the mirror at a person like that. See, touchy. If, you can, if I'm talking about this and you say, well, that might be me, ask God to help you not be touchy. People are touchy for different reasons. Usually, if you're a touchy person, there are unresolved personal issues in that person's life. That is, that is somebody close to you. Somebody close to you's hurt you. You're holding on to it, and it's boiling beneath the surface. So uh, Chip Judd, who was a good friend of mine, he used to come here many, many times. He would say, he would say every relationship that you have in life, you have, still have with you. It's like you're carrying it in a, on a sack over your shoulder, and all of the people you've known are in that sack. All of the relationships and their open-ended relationships if they're not settled properly. And they're affecting you today. So it could be mother, father, brother, sister, aunts, uncles, nephews, cousins, etc. Or it could be a teacher. It could be a friend. Uh, it could be a girlfriend, boyfriend, an ex-spouse, a, a, a boss, a coach, 
Somebody who you know has done you wrong. See, when we hold on to those things, they create offense on the inside. It's covert anger. It's underneath the surface and it's dangerous to human personality. The writer of Hebrews says, a root of bitterness can spring up and defile a person. I got a whole teaching on this when I talk about forgiveness. I'll I'll go into it, but I want to encourage you. If if you tend to be a touchy person, person, you need to check up on who it is that there's unresolved conflict with within you. You got to be willing to let that person go and be willing to forgive them. For me, I've had to do that with a number of people in my life, close friends, other people that did me wrong. I mean, I just had to go through it. My mom, my dad, uh, just close. Usually it's not people that you don't know that's hurt, that hurt you. It's the people that are close to you, right? Uh, you, you know, if somebody you don't know comes up and cusses you out, says something they shouldn't say about your character, I mean, you go off and think, that guy is kooky, that guy's crazy. That person, that woman's crazy. They don't know me from Adam's house cat. Why'd they say that? And, you know, you just kind of fluff it off. But if it's somebody you know well and they hurt you, that, that's, that's the barb. That's the snare. That's the offense. And those are the kind of things we have to be willing to deal with. And they can cause touchiness, fretful, listen to this, almost done, uh, to feel or express worry, to fret. Fretful comes from the word to fret, uh, to feel or express worry, annoyance, discontent, or the like, uh, or to torment, irritate, annoy, vex, to have an irritated state of mind. You ever been around somebody who's just irritated? You ever seen, you know, my grandchildren now, they'll get together sometimes, and, and some of them will irritate each other, uh, you know. Take the other one's toy, take some of their food, take their piece of bread, you know, throw something on the floor. Yeah, we still do that as adults. We say things, make snide remarks, do things, say things, act in ways so the other person knows, I'm not quite satisfied with you. That's a fretful person. Then resentful, the, res, uh, the feeling of resentment, Here's the definition. Or feeling of displeasure at some act, remark, person, etc. Regardless, uh, regarded as causing insult or injury. If you've got resentment, that means I'm holding offense. That means somebody said or done something and I have not let it go yet. When I really forgive, I forget. I choose to forget what the person said or did to me. Yes or no? So see, all that causes all that internal covert anger. And y'all, that stuff's really dangerous. I do have a podcast every day, Monday through Friday. The past number of weeks, I've been uh, teaching on healing on my podcast. This week, I'm talking about hindrances to healing. And one of them... One of the hinder, major hindrances uh, to healing is unresolved internal conflict. It produces pressure. I've heard this for decades now. Uh, 80-something percent of physical problems in the human person are created by anxiety, stress, pressures that are not relieved. How many hear me? So, y'all, this stuff, we got to be willing to deal with anger appropriately. You know, me, oh, oh I have overt. Listen, I can get angry. You know, just ask Susan. <laughs> but I have to go back and say, God, I'm sorry. And I'm asking God constantly to deal with me. So, so as I close, everybody good? Did you get something out to get mighty quiet? I got a whole lot more, but I'm going to stop. It's in my notes. My notes are on the website. You can check it out. What in your actions could be interpreted by others as rude? Ask yourself that question. Ask people that know you if they think you're self-focused. Or others, folk. If you're married, ask your spouse, spouse, get real with me now. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to be upset and peeved and mean and touchy. But am I others focused? 
or am I self-focused? And find somebody that'll be honest with you and real with you. Ask you. And if you're really, if you're self-focused, ask God to help you not to be a selfish person. Sometimes you're raised in a family and the nature of that family is to be selfish. How many get it? And then uh, thirdly, how do you control your anger? What do you do to control anger? Me, I have to deal with anger. I've had to deal with anger all my life. And when I realize I'm on the edge, like Thursday, honest, I was on edge. I'm so glad I didn't get on that ladder. It, it probably needed to break. I mean, I was just a, I was a rascal and I had to repent to my wife. So how do you control anger? Generally, when I'm angry, I get off by myself and I say, God, I'm mad. I tell him what made me mad. And I say, Lord, would you please help me? Lastly, are you an easily offended person? Blessed are they that love your law and nothing shall offend. Are, are you the kind of person that nothing can offend? That's where we want to go. So, Father, I just pray for me and all of us as we walk through our journey of life. Help us to develop these qualities of love. Lord, help us to not be people that are rude. Help us to have social graces that help others. Lord, help us us not to be self-centered, only thinking of us at the expense of others. And, oh, dear Father God, help us to deal with both overt and covert anger. Help us to deal with touchiness and fretfulness and resentment and offense. Help us, dear Father God, help us as we walk through life to grow and develop in this love and show it to others. In Jesus' name, glory.